Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Clayway, your host, and with me today is Gabriel Baptista. How you doing, Gabriel? Hi, what's up, Sean? Not too much. It's, uh, you know, getting to be a little winter here, so we've had some, some crazy weather, some snow, and it's gotten a little warmer today, so we're getting lots of wind and rain, but uh, other than that, things have been going well. You know, I'm doing computers, I'm doing programming, I'm doing that, I'm happy. That's good. Yeah. Here is a little bit different. I am in Sao Paulo, Brazil, so the weather here, it's quite warm, and we're just entering in the summertime, right? So the weather is cool right now. No, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I wish I <laughs> lived where it was a little warmer. I've mentioned it a few times on the show. I think that I play a lot of adult softball. And around here, there's only about six months that we can actually play it because after that, it's just too cold. So I started playing hockey recently just to find yeah. something to, to Makes do. more sense too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do that, you know, during the winter to keep myself active. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, You know how you got into programming and, and technology and what you do now? Well, actually, I am a software architect here in Brazil in a, in a really huge company, an industry company. And I started everything about computers uh, more than 20 years ago. And basically, I, I assumed that as soon as I saw a computer, that that was the thing that I would work for the rest of my life. And thanks God, it's now what I'm doing right now. I studied electronics, I studied computer science, I had a, a master's degree in industrial engineering, talking about agile, talking about software development. Uh, I do enjoy software quality assurance, so this is a, a subject that I, I enjoy talking to. And besides my career, the market working as a software architect, Nowadays, I am a professor in a college here in Sao Paulo State. I've been de- doing this for more than 10 years. So that's it. I guess that's it. That's my career right now. Okay. So at the college there, are you using or teaching .NET? Or- yeah. Actually, I have, I have the opportunity to talk about a, a little bit more than .NET. At the last year of the college, my students had the opportunity to to learn about DevOps, a class that I have there. And I, I mean, nowadays using Azure DevOps, Azure as, a, as the platform to deploy and C Sharp and some other classes that they have, they, they do learn uh, C Sharp. Nice, nice. It's good to have uh, exposure to this type of, uh, you know, platform. When the kids are young and still really open to different opportunities and, and environments that they can build things in and really kind of get that passion going for them. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it's a, almost a requirement nowadays, right? If you think about the current state of developing software, I can't imagine anymore that thing where you just build and deploy totally separated and... And the more people learn about DevOps, the better. Uh, for this reason, 
I have updated some of the subjects that we have in, in the college so that we can have the opportunity to teach them this new world that we, we have nowadays considering DevOps as a, a way to be connected to the reality that we have in this century. Yeah. So it looks like uh, Y. Lu's um, just joined us. So hi, Y. How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? I totally forgot about the time difference um, where I am now. So it's a half an hour um, <laughs> be, um, ahead. So, <laughs> Right. So no problem. We, we've only been going for maybe uh, three or four minutes. So not too much that you've missed. So we're just talking with Gabriel Baptista today. And he just kind of told us a little bit about himself. He works at a university in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's a software architect and, you know, deals with students and tries to teach them .NET, but also in the best practices for software development and DevOps and things like that. Nice to meet you, mate. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Ryan. How are you doing? Good morning. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you, Brazil, that would be the same time difference as somewhere in America, yeah? Is that right? Yeah, here is 5.30 p.m., right? Yeah, oh. so where I'm at in, in Washington State is uh, just a little after 12.30 p.m., so so yeah. we're wide awake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the topics we wanted to talk about today, Gabriel, is the opportunities and responsibilities of a software developer. What do you do, okay, what do, you yeah. do with, with that kind of thing with, with students and with yourself? I keep saying to my students, this is a Satya Nadella's speech, right? The last two speeches that I had the opportunity to listen from Satya, uh, I had the opportunity to go to build 2019 and build and build 2018. Satya keeps saying that, right? We have a world of opportunities, but at the same time, we have a world of responsibilities. And that's why I think as a software developer, we need to understand the current era that we are living, right? We have a bunch of opportunities. Since we have AI, we have different programming languages. We have a really powerful .NET, but we cannot forget about the privacy, the cybersecurity, security, the ethical AI and when it comes to software development, we cannot think about these topics because each line of code that you build will be connected to an industry, to a market. Without worrying about these uh, topics, you may write bad code. I think that all that you are contributing here with this podcast is exactly to talk to people, hey, let's write code, but let's write good code, right? I really enjoyed this this thought about Satya because we're talking about a really different way of programming nowadays. We can deliver really fast software to production comparing to 10 years ago. If you compare 10 years ago, the way that we, we use it to deploy software and we compare right now, it's totally different. It's insane, right? But on the other hand, we cannot forget the best practices. We cannot forget the security area. Uh, we cannot forget the privacy, the ethical uh, aspects while programming. 
Right. Yeah. With uh, today's environment, you know, privacy and security is, is such an important thing, you know, not only for developers out there that have to do with, deal with things like GDPR, but yeah. uh, pretty much any business environment, you got to make sure that those assets that are really valuable to the to the company are protected and that the customers feel safe by providing that information to the company through their systems. So yeah. you really got to you know, make sure everybody thinks yes. about that on their code, not just bells and whistles. Do you think in a, in a lot of ways though that um, like these days, like, although you have to start thinking about like these things like you did before, um, it is actually, it might be easier to, to implement these things um, just because there might be a lot of um, services out there for you to, to do that. So previously for like authentication or something like that, or um, you might've had to implement your own authentication system or, but that's just one example. But um, but nowadays you might be able to just use an existing service. You mean the cooperation between the past and nowadays, right? The the, the resources that yeah. we have nowadays, right? What I mean when I when I use this this philosophy, I would say, is that things are simpler today. For instance, you said you said about authentication, right? The components for authentication they are almost done when you start a project in C Sharp and .NET. Right, mm. but the same way they, these components are almost done, you need to figure out that maybe or almost every time, right, that startup project that you have in C Sharp will not uh, guarantee totally the security and the privacy that you need for your software, right? So it's a startup; it's not mm. the project already done, right? It's different from the past because in the past we don't we 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 didn't have anything, right? But nowadays I am a little bit worried when it comes to this really easy way to start projects. If every developer is worrying about the business that they are running that software, and because of that, they need to take care about some details that of course, in the past, they are more difficult, but you cannot forget them. For instance, for deploying a software nowadays on web using Azure and Azure DevOps, I believe that you can do it in uh, five to 10 clicks using Visual Studio and Azure, right? You just start a project, five to, five to 10 clicks, and you start, you can deploy it on the internet, right? Hmm. And then you start building your business rules. You start developing your software that will manage something. Okay. And you consider that enough for deploying, but it's not. You need to take care about the environment. You need to take care about the quality of the software that you are deploying. You need to take care about the security of that system. That's the the difference that we have between nowadays and the past. In the past, things are really difficult. For that reason, it costs a lot, right? It used to cost a lot. For deploying a software today, you don't spend a dollar and you have that on the internet. But isn't there anything in the middle between zero and and the cost in a lot. That's what I mean. For real world, you need to think about some details 
that are different from uh, demos or just startup projects. Sure. So do you have any like uh, good tips, I guess, um, or any specifics about what um, someone who's deploying their first production application should should care in terms of security? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there are many, many uh, tips, but I, I think the, the, the easiest uh, one is the multi-environment deployment that you can use in uh, Azure DevOps, right? You can develop a pipeline using Azure DevOps where you have different stages for your deployment, right? So as soon as you start deploying a software for production, you need to take care about that. And for me, continuous deployment, continuous integration is really nice, but without a multi-environment deployment, it's dangerous because most of the time, as soon as you start a, the first release of your software in production, the changes that you will make to maintain or to evolve the software need to be tested before going to production. And the multi-environment in Azure DevOps is a way to keep up this in a health manner. Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest things that's come around you know, recently is the, you know, the you know, size and scale of the cloud that's out there instead of doing things all on-premise. You know, being able to take advantage of the tools and knowledge that, that companies like Microsoft has put in there. And yeah. so you can just kind of utilize those in your applications rather than having to learn all the issues that you might face with privacy and security. You can just enable that in your cloud environment to help you out with those things. And then they also have tools that can monitor your traffic and, and make sure that everything looks the way it should. You're not, you know, exposing things that you're not. So that cloud environment has really made things a lot easier for developers, you know, to enable that, that security and help with the privacy. Yeah, especially for developers. I, I think uh, Azure is a fantastic environment for developers when it comes to platform as a service components because you don't need to take care about the infrastructure. You don't need to take care about the operating system. You just need to take care about your application. And with some components and features that you, you can turn on in your application, in your environment, you'll be able to, to make a product that will be really good when it comes to security and most of the time, uh, it will not cost a lot, right? Because it's just a matter, when we talk about real world, it's a matter of cost too, right? You, you need to think about that. When you start learning comp some components in Azure, like the security components that you can just start in your Azure account, there are many, many, many robots that Microsoft start looking at your environment and in your infrastructure inside the Azure, this is pretty cool. And this is pretty good for your, your software, your platform. For instance, if you take a look at uh, SQL Azure, the firewall that you can just turn on, right, in some clicks, 
it's pretty good, but you can go further. You can, for instance, you can turn on the, the, the encryption and you can turn on the, the, the backup. And these features that comes together with SQL Azure, they are really useful, right? And more than that, they are easy, easy to use and not that expensive. Right. It's so easy to just, you know, try things out in the cloud there because you don't have to buy new hardware or you know, new network equipment or anything like that. You can just, you know, bring it up, try it out. If it doesn't work, you just you know, basically throw it away and yeah. start over and, and try different things and make sure that the things are the way that you want them to be. And platform as a service, especially for developers, I do enjoy the platform as a services components that we have there. You can start up a, a credible product using Azure apps, Azure functions, SQL Server, uh, SQL Azure, cognitive services. The, the platform as a service that Microsoft provides to us is really good and really fast. That's the cool thing that we have nowadays, right? But on the other hand, we cannot forget the practices, the good practices to develop, to deliver good software to, to everybody, right? I think in a way, um, the best thing about um, platform for a service, in, in terms of security as well, is that a lot of it is managed kind of um, for you. Um, and it's, it's kind of a thing about like sometimes knowing a little bit is, is kind of dangerous, um, because especially in terms of security. Um, like for me, there's a lot of stuff where, me as a developer, I don't actually want to worry about, but I, I actually want it to be to be implemented um, in my system. If I start having to actually do it myself, I'm probably not smart enough than someone in, in Microsoft to actually implement that, that security component properly. So I think living in a PaaS world makes things a lot a lot, a lot easier for developers in, in terms of security as long as you, you are um, following the best practices that um, Microsoft are recommending. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. How does somebody that, you know, isn't familiar with the best practices and, and the ways to make things secure and, and to handle privacy, how do they go about learning those things? Sorry, I didn't get it. So you know, somebody that's not familiar with, with the best practices, you know, dealing with privacy and dealing with security, what's the best way for them to, to learn and, and make sure that they are doing things the way they should be done? It's a good question. Nowadays, we have um, the rules like G- GDPR. And here in Brazil, we have something similar for that. But this is just the, the, the starting of the, the, the stuff, right? Talking about tech things, I would say that a good start is taking a look at the norms that we have from uh, ISO 2700 and all the series of ISO that talks about security is pretty good too. When we talk about components in Azure, if you take a look at the the, the, the documentation that Azure provides to every single component, they have detailed some tricky points where you can be more safe, be more secure. Again, even the, the, the platform has a component that you can use to analyze the security of your system. And this component is pretty useful when you don't have any uh, idea where to start. 
I guess that's it. In Azure, there's a security central component, right, that analyzes thousands of regulations that we have all over the, the world talking about security. As soon as you start turning on your components and, and starting your components to your uh, solution, you are able to turn on the central, the security central and check what are the, the, the recommendations that Azure gives to you. And then it's a matter of analyzing each recommendation and getting these recommendations done will bring you an environment that's more secure. Okay, so you're talking about the, the different environments and the different ways to you know, put things together. I think one thing you've talked about with uh, different groups is the difference between demos and something that's really a software and production. Does that really kind of show people the difference that you know when you're writing a demo, you're not probably concerned about a lot of those things, and but in, in production, you need to be? Yeah, for instance, when you are writing a demo, you don't care about the best practices. You don't care about naming the, the the variables. You don't care about you don't care about even the way that's published the software, right? You are there just to 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 make a proof of concept. It's totally different if you compare to a code in production, right? Where you need to think about sustainability. You need to think about good ways to write code. You need to think about reuse. There are a bunch of worries that you need to to deal when you have a software in production, right? It's uh, it's a bit, bit strange because sometimes when you watch a demo, you say, oh, just some clicks and everything's done and everything's good. But what about logging? What about security? What about good practices? of programming good practices? What about uh, performance? You need to worry about these things when you are writing a code for production, right? I just want to make sure that any person that at least listened to me once understand that copy and paste from a demo to software in production is not a good idea, right? <laughs> you need to think about that. There are bunches of demos that are incredible, but most of the time, they do not fit a good software for production. We've been recording Ruby Rogue since 2011, and we've talked to a lot of people who have had a really deep influence, not only on the programming community, but also on the Ruby community. And as we've talked to these people, it's become apparent to me that we talk a lot about the things that make them interesting that they've done, but we don't really get into how they got into programming or how they came up in their career, how they got to be the person who invented whatever library or or technique that they came on the show to talk about. And so I put together a show where we actually highlight these things. We talk to them about how they got into programming. We talk to them about how they got into Ruby, maybe how they got into Rails. We get a little bit deep into what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. And then we talk about what they're working on. We talk about the things that make them well-known or make them interesting. And a lot of times, it's the stuff that goes beyond the code that really makes these people tick and makes them the kind of people that we want to hear about. And so I put together a show called My Ruby Story. You can find it at myrubystory.com. And it's where I interview these people and just get the stories of these people and how they came into programming. So if you want to hear inspirational stories 
or get ideas on how you can actually advance your career, then go check it out at myrubystory.com. And when you're writing a demo or a proof of concept, quite often it's just a single developer putting something like that together versus working on a team. Yeah. So when you're in a team environment, you know, how do you make sure that all of the team members are working towards those best practices or implementing those best practices for you know, security and privacy? In some companies, we have uh, programming standards that the, the programmer needs to follow, right? We have standards to, to guarantee the security. We have standards to guarantee the privacy. Totally different from a demo. Right. So what I mean is that we need to use demos as demos and software in production, software for for products, as software for products. We cannot mixture these two worlds because of the velocity of the things that we nowadays have. There are many cases where demos come to production without no worries. And there is where we have problems of security, of bad performance, of sustainability, whatever. Standards doesn't really guarantee that all those things are implemented. Do you ever recommend having audits, either by you know, other team members, internal audits, or bringing in somebody external to come through and look through the code and make sure that all those standards and best practices are being adhered to? Yeah, some audits are, are fine. There are different ways to do so, right? You can do a code inspection. You can uh, use uh, GitHub, for example, or Git environment for a pull request. That's a good practice when you are talking about a working group environment. We have some tools that you can put in your build pipeline to analyze the code. Uh, the first one that we uh, we know in the past was FXCOP, right? right? Nowadays, we have, for example, Sonar that does something really good, analyzing the code and getting mistakes and bad code, code smells in the, uh, everywhere that you have in the code, bad, bad code written. What so, was that? Uh, Sonar Cube. Sonar Cube. Sonar Cube? Sonar, Sonar Cloud is, is one really good that I, I would recommend. For security, I've checked some tools specialized in security for doing audits, but I cannot name anyone right now. But Sonar is a, a good example. Besides, there are some tools that you can integrate as, as, as extensions in your code, in your Visual Studio, Right. Visual Studio 2019 has code analysis. It's an extension that you can install in your Visual Studio. And it, analy- it analyzes if you are writing code without worrying the dispose, if uh, you are writing code that maybe needs try finalists and so on. Right. And they are there. You just need to install the extension and you are going to start learning together with writing a better, a better code. So I think you touched on a really good topic, actually, about how, you know, when you're writing code for a demo or proof of concept, it's actually the strategy you use. It's very different to um, the, how you'd write um, code for an MVP or even a full production um, application. Um, 
So I'm just wondering, what is your opinion about whether or when you should start um, unit testing your code? Like, um, like for me, my, my main rule is that if I, if I know a piece of code is going to last for six months, I'm going to look at the six months from now, I'll, I'll, unit, I'll try to unit test it. Um, do you have any such rule like that? or? Yeah, unit testing is, is a technique that lots of people recommend. And I do recommend in some scenarios, but there are some cases when we talk about production that unit tests are not the only way to, to do so, right? I work in an environment here, in an industry here, where we have bunches of equipments together with the software that we're developing. In this case, emulating hardware is not the, the easiest way to do with unit testing. But when you have many, many business rules, right, and you have a code architected for enabling these unit tests, I do believe unit tests are, are a good approach. But it cannot be the only way. One thing that I always uh, think about is that when you write code, you need to write code focusing in not getting mistakes as soon as you start writing the code. And unit tests, especially if you are using unit tests together with test-driven development, right, together with TDD, it makes you make the code wrong first. It's a bit confusing to myself, right? But it's an approach. I cannot say that it's not an approach. But I think that you need to worry about writing code well, considering patterns, even when you don't have unit tests done. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, in, your, in your experience with using .NET, how has the .NET environment uh, you know, helped you with doing these best practices? If you, if you analyze, for instance, the way that, not, that .NET Core is delivering uh, some uh, patterns, they enable you develop it in a way that makes more sense and at the same time makes a code better. Besides, we have garbage collector that it's, it's half good, half not good because people sometimes think that, oh, everything will be solved using garbage collector. And uh, this is not true, right? In some cases, you do need to think about the disposing of the mat of the, the the objects that you are instantiating. But what I think that Visual Studio and .NET in general enable us is to take a look at the code written inside .NET in some and check their good practices that were done. Besides that, for sure, Visual Studio environment together with some extra components that you can install, the environment itself is fantastic. There is no better uh, environment, in my opinion, than Visual Studio. Even VS Code, people love VS Code, I know that, but even VS Code is not so powerful as Visual Studio, right? Using Visual Studio, you can develop and debug many different environments in .NET world. And I think this is the best tool. I think it was only when I moved out of the, um, the Microsoft ecosystem and started using IDEs from other 
like if you're using Java, you might use um, Eclipse or IntelliJ. Then I realized just how good Visual Studio actually is. Like, um, yeah. It really, yeah. you're right. It really is um, like the best idea that you can possibly have for, for, for a yeah. right? Yeah. Every time I need to write code in Java or in other uh, programming language, I try Visual Studio Code. That's the best option, right? <laughs> Consider yeah. the other environments. Because, for example, if you're writing uh, code in Node, VS Code is the best option. If you're writing code uh, in JavaScript, Visual, Visual Studio Code is the best option, right? But if you compare environments for Java and uh, environments for .NET, well, .NET is pretty much incredible, right? It's easy to understand the, the way the things go there. The, the flow is good. And more than that, Comparing to some of the other tools that we have for programming nowadays, it's not that heavy, right? So it's a good environment. Yeah. And the new new practice of, of Microsoft, you know, being a more open source type of company with, with a lot of things out there that, that people can look at and even, even contribute to, you know, they can go out there and see how Microsoft does these things. And you know, if they if they find something wrong, they can you know submit a, a pull request to have something fixed or maybe even more secure. So I think a lot of that helps with the .NET you know ecosystem being you know more you know focused around security and privacy. Yeah, so, and the, the open source for Microsoft was the best thing that they've done because it opened the mind right of a closing company and give us the opportunity to take a look at the code and contribute to the code. And this was a, 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 a good way to, to deal with, with this environment that they have built. So there's a lot of developers out there that are working on open source projects. Do you think that's a good way to start and learn? Or is that a little more dangerous being open source because there's really not any, you know, some of them don't have as much coordination or in focus on security and privacy. Well, open source is really good for empowering the tools that you are developing. It's a good way to learn, but the best way to learn things is checking the theory. This is my opinion. I am a professor. I, can, I, I could not say anything different from that, right? Checking the uh, what, what, sorry? The theory of the, the concepts. Theory. Checking uh, theory. the theory. Right, Here we go. The, the the concepts, the good books and the good writers that once in our, once gave us the opportunity to to learn about, right? Of course, open source is a very good way to try the things, especially if you are not in a company, if you are starting and you want to to make progress in your career, but if you want to learn. Writing good code, my opinion is that you need to learn the concepts. You need to understand the environment where you're going to program, not only checking code from other people, because you don't understand exactly what the basis of the person are. And so it's a little bit difficult, right, to understand and learn good code just using open source. But I, I think open source is a way to provide code faster, good code faster. 
considering the environment that we have in Git and, uh, and the communities that we have, there's no, no better way to improve faster. But for learning, you need to understand the fundamentals, you need to understand the concepts. Would you recommend people that want to get started in development go to uni or, um, or college or go to a boot camp? Uh, how would they obtain this theory? If you want to start, if you need to start, first of all, you need to be sure you are doing the thing that you love. To be sure that you are doing the thing, a thing that you love, a bootcamp can be a good, a good way to start because you don't have all the compromise to, to finish. And I think this is a, a good deal. Or a small course so you can understand the environment and what what is to be a programmer. Because without being a programmer, it's pretty much difficult to understand what a programmer does. And for this reason, uh, to start, you need to, to do a course or to do a bootcamp. On the other hand, if you do love that and you do want to do that for the entire life, my opinion is that you need to go to the to college, you need to get the fundamentals because they're not going to evolve in your career if you do not understand the fundamentals. The fundamentals are the basis that will give you the opportunity to improve, to go up, to go further. So are there any experts that you kind of look to for, you know, following and learning about, you know, these best practices, like one person that I can think of would be Troy Hunt, you know, the guy that, that runs Have I Been Owned. I think he's Australian like you, why? So uh, he should be a good friend of yours, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. we all know each other here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a small continent there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in New Zealand. <laughs> so is there any other experts that you kind of look at for for guidance, you know, what's going on, you know, currently with privacy, security, and and just making sure that you've got the best practices for software development? Well, I'm thinking about someone specific to recommend. Talking about uh, writing good code, I really enjoyed the concepts from a really good guy called Watts Humphrey. Watts Humphrey was one of the leaders of CMMI. And there's a, a book that he wrote about coding with discipline, discipline for writing code. There are good books for writing code. I guess the, the Clean Code is one of the, the books that I would recommend. I guess that, that's it. Clean Code is, a, is, a, is a, a really good book where you understand the idea of uh, writing code fast, but at the same time with good practices. I guess that is. For security, specific in security, I cannot remember anyone who I would recommend at the first time. But for sure, for writing good code, clean code, and what's Humphrey? It's a, it's a person that everybody should listen to or hear or uh, read about uh, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, another resource that I can think about would be OWASP. 
Are you familiar with the OWAS Foundation? They put out the, yeah, the, the top 10. Yep. Make sure yeah. that uh, secure code practices. So that would be something that the listeners, will, if they really and, want to get into the, the top issues with writing secure code, um, uh, and, check and, out the OWASP. And the, the ISO, ISO 27,000, right? 27,000. I guess that's the way you say it here, say that the regulation, right? This is the international security rule that regulates how you need to deal with security in essential, right? So this is a good uh, resource to, to check. Okay. Is there anything that, that you wanted to talk about or, or mention around this area and this topic that we haven't talked about? No, I guess that is. I guess that is. Uh, keep in mind that you need to write code every single time for production. When you are writing code that is not for production, do not use this code written in production. No way. No, no. Do not do that. Right. That's the the the, the message. The good message here is while writing code for production for real world, you need to take care about some details to guarantee security, privacy in ethical uh, aspects. And do not forget about that. Yeah, good suggestion there, definitely. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker, I don't want to deal with Kubernetes, I don't want to deal with setting up servers, I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier and in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight show, and we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. So I think we've, we've, if we've covered everything, I think we should probably move on for, to our picks for today. I guess I can go first. And we're recording this. Next week is Christmas. So I will probably recommend and pick one of my favorite Christmas movies. And there's a lot of controversy about this movie either being a Christmas movie or not. And it's the original Die Hard movie with Bruce Willis. So <laughs> I, I consider it a Christmas music. It's got a Christmas party in it. It's got Christmas music. You know, there's just a popular Christmas song by the old band Run DMC. So I consider it a Christmas movie and I like to watch it around this time of the year. So this will probably come out after Christmas. It'll probably come out sometime in January, but it's still the Christmas season. So if you, if people haven't seen it, or haven't seen it recently, go ahead and, and rewatch the movie Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. guys have seen it? Yeah. Yeah, so, so uh, good. Good, good. So do you have a pick why? 
Okay, so my pick this week is um, yeah. Bear in mind, this is I thought it would be a good uh, Christmas present, but yeah, you're right. This is probably going to get released after Christmas. But um, anyway, my pick this week is for the tile. So it's a little um, device that you can buy. They're like twenty or thirty dollars Australian, so maybe like ten dollars American or something. Um, for me, I'm very very forgetful. I generally like to leave my stuff everywhere um, to anoint my wife. And every morning I do the same routine where I'm trying to find my keys, my phone, um, my wallet, etc. Um, so I've got like little tiles that I attach to each of these devices now. And in the morning I just I just ring it and it just um, using my phone and it just rings like really loudly so then I can find my stuff. It's probably saved me hours of like trying to find my stuff every morning. So yeah, I, yeah. I recommend the yeah. tile this week. Yeah, I have I have some of those, and I, I came upon them because I found somebody's keys once, and it was just oh, around the building that, that I that I work at, and I noticed this little square thing on there, and it, it was a tile, and so I looked up, okay, how does somebody find their keys if they have this little tile device? And so I installed the app onto my phone so that the little tile device could report where it was at, and I left yeah. I left I left them at my front desk that night, and. By the next morning, the person that came by and picked up their keys. So it definitely, yeah. it definitely works. <laughs> Good. So, Gabriel, what kind of thing have, have you thought about that you want to let our listeners know about that you're doing or have read or well, something recently? Yeah, I am a person that, that drives a lot, right? And since I, I don't have time for reading, I always try to find a, a, an app that can read to me. Two months from now, I found Storytel as a, a really good uh, app for reading. And there are thousands of books that you can listen to, right? And it's a great opportunity to listen different topics. Not, uh, I don't find any kind of programming topics there, but I would recommend surely uh, this app called Storytel. Storytel, okay. Oh, it's gonna, is it like an like a like an audiobook service? Is it? it it's an audiobook service. Yeah, it's an audiobook service. It's monthly fee. It costs oh here in Brazil it's twenty seven reais a, a month. It's less than ten dollars probably, right? And there are a great variety of books that I, I would consider a good option if you have you don't have time for for reading, but you have time for listening to something. It's a good way to keep updated, I would say. Yeah, I actually love my um my morning and um, afternoon commute. It's the only time where I'm actually alone, and yeah, you're right. I can actually just put some podcast or an audio book on, you know, and just yeah, just have some time to myself to to do that kind of thing. Yeah, for driving for me, it's fantastic. So I can drive. I drive more than two hours a day. So considering that, I stop and listen to music and start reading some books from. Uh, Walter Isaacson and so on. Good. All right, Gabriel. It was really nice having you on the show. Hopefully, we've brought to people's you know minds the the ideas that, about making sure that they're always conscious about you know the best practices of privacy and security and thinking about the environments that they're working on and then the the code that they write, making sure that you know if it's not written for production, it shouldn't go in production. Yeah, that's the point. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. Last thing is if people want to reach out to you, how could they get in touch? Oh, you can find me in LinkedIn. You can find me in LinkedIn. 
right then okay yeah it's pretty easy to find me there uh, i don't know if i can say that i just released a book oh um, definitely go ahead it's a book talking about software architecture from pact hands on on software architecture with c sharp 8 and .net core it's just pretty new and you can find me in social media and feel free to send me emails to try to talk to me anyway I apologize for my English. I don't know if it's pretty good because I'm Brazilian here in Sao Paulo, but thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the really nice chat that we had. Yeah, you're more than welcome. And if people want to reach out to me on Twitter, they can find me at .NET Superhero. So easy to remember, kind of funny, but uh, you know, I like it. It works for me. So, and we'll see everybody on the next episode. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.